We are learning Dav Chof Alf. We're starting from the bottom of Chof Amad Beis by the two dots, but we're analyzing the line in the Mishnah. The Mishnah said if she had a married the Sota, so it would push away the punishment for one year, two years, or potentially for three years. So who is this Mishnah? My name is Nisan. Who is the Mishnah that the Schos could push away for up to three years? None of these three people. Now we bring a Brisa which elaborates on these opinions, that, and they hold it's a shorter time frame that the Schos could be told. It could only push away the punishment for three months because they have cars over, which is the amount of time it takes for a fetus inside of a pregnant woman to become um, noticeable. And the place where we're coming from is now we found so yesterday, I think we were wondering what's the source in the Torah for, for the schos at all? How do we know Bechlal that there's such a concept? So the idea is that the Pasuk does say that if she doesn't blow up, the Pasuk says, Viniksa Vinizra Azera, she'll be vindicated. And then Viniksa Azera, literally, like she'll bear siege, we'll be able to have children. And that's the idea that it's like a school to have children if she's innocent. But we expound that it also refers to a guilty sota that she'll be, Viniksa, she'll be temporarily. Exonerate. She'll temporarily be innocent until Vinixa Zara, until the amount of time that the seed is born inside of her, meaning until the amount of time that three months that it would take a fetus to become recognizable. So that's where that opinion says it's only three months. So he's saying, uh, you look at that apostle and he connects it. What does it mean that she'll have seed? We see over there that, that, that the seed is telling, is relating something in that apostle. So seed that is fitting, which is able to talk, which is able to, to make noise, which is able to, to relate the praise of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So too, when the Pasuk says, when Nizra Azera here, it doesn't just mean there will be a fetus inside of the womb. It means there will be a birth from that seed. So according to him, the idea is that the schus could be told for nine months. Rabbi Shmuel, Hashem, Rosh it is 12 months. Even though we don't have a raya, an absolute proof from a Pasuk, but we could show a source, somewhat of a source. I understand the context over here. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. He had a dream where he was basically, uh, he learned that he was going to be punished really bad. And Daniel interpreted the dream for him. And um, he basically said that the dream was means that he's going to be cut off from humanity and Luchanetz is going to become like an animal living in the wild. And uh, pretty bad stuff was going to happen to him. So what was said in the Pasuk? There was advice which was given from Daniel to Luchanetz how he could not remove Bechlal, the punishment, he wasn't able to do that, but there were certain things he could do that could push it away from, 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 from occurring. So he said to him as follows, Lachin Malka, King, let my advice be good to you. Your seem, your, all your sins should be redeemed with tzedakah. What does that mean? All your, again, your sins should, be, should, should go away by you being nice to the poor people. In this way, it will extend the shalom that you will have. In other words, as long as you're giving sakh and as long as you're helping the poor Jews, then that can push away your punishment. What happened in the next pasuk? All the punishments happened. At what point? At the end of 12 months. So basically, Nebuchadnezzar listened to the advice of Daniel and he gave a lot of charity to the poor Jewish people. And for 12 months, he was okay. For 12 months, he didn't become living with the wild or the animals. So what do we see? We see that for one year. So just as we find them by Nebuchadnezzar, so we could apply that here to the Sota. At any rate, what our Mishnah said is not like anybody. Here we have three opinions in the price of three months, nine months, or 12 months. And the Mishnah was comfortable saying up to three years. So the Gemara answers, but he found the Pasuk that said it up to three times. In other words, you're right. A punishment could be pushed away because of a schos for a year. 
But we find in a Pasuk that Hashem will do it three times. Hashem said, for the three transgressions of Hashem, I've looked away, but for four, I will not. So I see there in the Pasuk a concept that Hashem will look away for three. So basically, we're saying that at some uh, time that, that a punishment is pushed away is 12 months. But since we find in a Pasuk that Hashem will do that three times, then it's potentially up to three years. So says the Gemara now, now let's understand Rabbi Shmuel a little bit better. We had an amazing proof of Nebuchadnezzar. Why are we saying it's only an illusion, it's not a real concrete proof? So the Gemara says, By Goyim it's different. Because by Goyim, HaKadosh Baruch doesn't want to punish them too quickly. Shem wants to save it up, give them all their benefit in this world so that the Olam they can be totally punished. So what transpires with Goyim first was being told for 12 months, that doesn't necessarily reflect upon a Jewish Sota that it will, punishment will be pushed away. By Jews, actually, the opposite. HaKadosh Baruch might want the punishment to happen quicker for us here so that he'll be able to reward us more in the world to come. Okay, so now that we spoke about the time frame, whether it's, again, three months, six months, 12 months, potentially three years, so we say, so, so depending on the level of the schos. So the Gemara says, what is this schos? Well, what exactly did the Sota do that has such power? Schos demai. That she learned a lot of Torah. But she's not commanded to do that. When you're an Eino Matsuva, so the merit is not so great. This is a very famous concept. That the reward for doing something that you're commanded to do is greater than the reward for doing something you're not commanded to do. Matsuva is greater. So if women don't have to learn, as we mentioned yesterday, so then the reward of Torah for her is not as great. So how could it be so, so amazing that it will push away the punishment for three years? They have to conclude. It's a mitzvah that she was commanded to do, which she did. And the schuss of that pushed away the punishment for three years. But the Gemara now challenges schuss to mitzvah. Is there such protective powers from the schuss from a, just a mitzvah? Mishle says, a mitzvah is like a lamp and the Torah is like a, like a torch. We see that a mitzvah is limited light. The Torah is much greater. So what does this mean? As a mitzvah, yes, a lamp protects it, but it's only temporary. It's small. It's only temporary. But the Torah is like a torch. It's protective with a stronger amount. Furthermore, it says in the Pesach right before about Torah study, when you walk, it will guide you. So it's like a guide for the person walking in the dark. And we explain what that means. That means that you're guided in your life in this world through the Torah. When you lie down, it will watch over you. It means it will watch over you in death as well. The Torah one who's learned while they were alive will protect them in their death. When you wake up, it will speak for you. That's a reference to in the time of Tchiyas HaMesim. The Torah that one learned while in their, in, their, in their original lifetime will protect them. So the idea is that Torah is eternal. It's like the it's like the R, the great the great amount of life. All the Torah that a person does forever protects them. Mashal, this can compare the Adam There's a person to understand again the distinction of why the source of Torah is so much more than the source of a mitzvah. It's like a person who's walking in the darkness. In that time, he could have all sorts of thorns and little holes and stuff that in the street that it make him nervous because he can't see you. Or wild animals, bandits attacking him. Moreover, he doesn't even know which road he's walking. He doesn't know that. In other words, forget about the prey that might chance upon him. He, the person that him is a lost person. So what happens? He gets small amounts of benefit that make it easier for him. If a torch of fire comes his way, he needs someone so he can now be safe from walking into things that he can avoid. By the time he's but he's still 
uh, afraid of the, the nighttime people, things that might attack him. Having a torch won't help you. And furthermore, if you don't know which road you're going on. So meaning having a torch is great. It's powerful, but it only protects you from like stumbling into things. But someone, things of the night attacking you and knowing where you are, general, like whether or not you're lost, having a torch doesn't necessarily allow you. Once the light of dawn rises, okay, so then these things don't come out during the day. The bandits and the animals don't attack. However, even the daytime, when a person is lost, you're lost. Even if, you're, you know, even if it's sunny outside, it'd be the most beautiful day in all the amount of light. If you're lost, you are lost. It's only when you get to a crossroads, right? A crossroads is where like, there's like, you know, a major junction where it's clear where the roads are. At that point, now you know what, now you can say from all of them, you know which road you're walking on. So that's this amazing muscle. And now to make the, the nimshal, it's like a person is, is traveling in this world. It's a dark path. There's a lot of hazards. You can step on them and uh, things can attack you. So the mitzvahs that a person does, those are like the torches that light him, that light the way it helps you that you don't, you, don't, you don't stumble upon the thorns. But the Torah becomes like the light of day, which makes sure that things don't attack you and you don't, you don't fall. And then, but, 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 but however, in, until, until the day of death, when you're finally really, in other words, you're comfortable that you're with your Yetzirah, you're always lost a little bit. You don't know if you're on the, ro- the right road. It's only when the time of death, when you get to the crossroads, it's only at that point that a person is, is, is pretty much sure and clear that he's going to be safe. Davar Acher, another explanation to, to what the limitation of mitzvah. Aver machaba mitzvah, in aver machaba Torah, a different idea. It's not only that the protection is smaller, it's that what could push it away. And a person does an aver, it could extinguish the light that a prior mitzvah had. But for Torah, in aver machaba Torah, even a sin, will never extinguish the light of the Torah study. It says that even many waters cannot extinguish love. So Pashup Shah is talking about love, but we say the love there is a reference to Torah. And we say that even the great waters, even a big sin cannot push it away. So we see that the performance of Mitzvah obviously is much less protection. Not such great slows. Well, going back to us by the Sota, if it's Tyra, she doesn't have Tyra. So if it's Mitzvah, the protection from Mitzvah shouldn't be so, so great. So how could it be that she has a slows that, 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 that protects her? So the Gemara explains, Amar of Yosef, Mitzvah, when you're involved in doing a Mitzvah, it protects you from punishment and it saves you from sinning. There's two things. It's potential for punishment to be pushed away and a protection from a sin. Both, both ideas are true in the moment that a person is performing a mitzvah. But in a delo asikba, in the moment that you're not actually engaged in the mitzvah, it's only a previous prior mitzvah that a person done has done. Aguni magna tzulamatza protects him from punishment, but it does not save him from sinning. So the Gemara is saying here, that when we're limiting the light of a mitzvah, we're limiting it from saving you from sinning. But the protection from punishment is there even if you're not engaged in the mitzvah. Torah, Torah is greater. Whether or not you're learning it currently or it's only Torah that you learned in the past, not only does it protect you from punishment, it also saves you from sinning. But what the Gemara is defending is that even a mitzvah protects a person from punishment. So its only distinction that Torah is greater is that it protects a person from sin. But mitzvahs as well will protect a person from punishment. So you shouldn't have such a difficult idea that the schos of a mitzvah will protect the sota. However, the Gemara says it can't be. Why? Because according to what we're saying, the greatness of Torah study is that it protects a person not only from punishment, but also from sin. Who sinned horribly? They were known to be great Torah scholars. They learned a lot. So, if it's true that past Torah study 
protects a person from sin in the future, why shouldn't it protect on them? What happened? How did Doeg and Achitofel ever sin? Elamai, what do we see? That even if you have Torah study, it doesn't necessarily protect you from sin in the future. So then what is the distinction between Torah and mitzvah? It must be that Torah protects you from punishment and sin doesn't protect you from punishment. And now we're back to square one. So then what's the, what's the great reward of the sota that can protect her from punishment? Allah, Elmer Rava, Rava changes it a little bit. Torah, at the time the person is actually engaged in Torah, Magna Matzah, protects him from punishment and saves him from sinning. And Dog and Achitofel, again, weren't learning Torah in the moment they sinned. In the moment that one is not learning Torah, that only protects him from punishment, doesn't protect him from sinning. But mitzvah, in the case of a mitzvah, whether you're involved with it or not, protects him from punishment, but it doesn't save him from, from sinning. So what we're saying is as follows. Uh, as a mitzvah does protect a person from punishment, and therefore you shouldn't have difficulty with sota. I, why is Torah greater than a mitzvah if a mitzvah protects him from, from punishment? And remember, Torah that you learned in the past does not protect you from sin, as we know from Dog and Achitofel. So if we just made mitzvah so great that it protects you from punishment in the future, even when you're not learning it, and Torah is not able to protect you from sin in the future, so what's, what's a, what, in what way is Torah greater over mitzvah? The answer is, while you're learning it. While you're learning Torah, you're protected from sinning, and that protection is not there when you're when you are doing a mitzvah. So while you're doing a mitzvah, it's very shy you also will sin. By Torah, while you're learning Torah, it's not shy for a person to sin. That's the distinction between Torah and mitzvah. But mitzvah as well, we're still hanging on to that. We're saying that a mitzvah will protect a person from punishment, and that's the pshat in Sota. Says the Gemara, second pshat, a very famous Gemara. Really, now we're going to go back. Really, it's the schos of Torah. It's not the schos of mitzvah. Mitzvah does not necessarily protect a person from punishment in the future. With the common in mitzvah vaisa, this that you had shver that a woman is not mitzvah vaisa. So if she's not mitzvah vaisa, so then how does she have such a great schos? The answer is yeah, she doesn't have a tzivah to learn Torah herself. But the reward for the Torah study that the women make by making their kids read um, at home. In other words, what, what does that mean? They, 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 she's preparing them. I think it means to get them to, 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 get, to get them to go learn. In other words, the idea is that they're able, whatever it is, getting the kids dressed for cheder in the morning, sending them off to school, so on and so forth. So that it, 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 it's as if they're making them learn. They're waiting for their husbands until they come home from the base matters, meaning they don't nag their husbands to come back. But they're okay with them even going out of town to learn in the base medrash somewhere else. Don't they have a share in that reward? So it's extremely lumdish gemara. Because what was the kasha? They were in mitzvah vayisa. So why have they picked close Torah? They weren't saying you're right. If they would learn Torah themselves, it would be in mitzvah vayisa. It wouldn't have such a great reward. But when they are part of the reward of the Torah that the men are receiving because they're part of it, so then that reward comes to them. And that's Mitzvah Vaisa they reward. So even though, are they Mitzvah Vaisa that they should make, make sure that their husbands are okay going out and learning and their kids? No, they're not. But they're getting this hire of a Mitzvah Vaisa that's coming back to them. Extremely lumdish a point. And that's why it could be such a great schos. All right, we learned before that a person can reach the crossroads to know that they're safe. So what is the nimshal? My precious Tarachim. In the nimshal, right, we're saying the torch is the mitzvah, the dawn is the Torah study, and then what exactly is the crossroads when a person is no longer lost? Only on the day of death, he knows he's no longer affected by the Yitzhara. This could also be while a person is alive. When a person attains the real Yerushalayim, 
then he's, it's as if reaching the crossroads. That's referring to a different angle. It's when a person learns and learns, but you could be lost, you don't know if you're applying it correctly. But when you're able to get the, the correct halacha based upon one's learning, so then that is the equivalent of the crossroads. What did we say? We said that an avera can extinguish the reward for a mitzvah. But, but a sin does not extinguish the reward for Torah. So Amr Yosef, Yosi, and he expounded up this pasuk like all the things that were taught at Sinai. He explained this way: Adog and Achitofel, who the enemies of David, they expounded different. They said Lorat was David. They understood the correct interpretation. They never would have pursued David. They tormented David. David had some sort of sin with the Vashavah, and they tormented him afterwards. It says that the enemies of David were saying that Hashem has forsaken him. Pasuk until him says they were basically saying that because he sinned with Vashavah, Hashem had abandoned him, and therefore they wouldn't be punished for pursuing. Him because what kind of schus, what kind of schus is he going to have? Any schus that he had went away after the sin. That was the basic premise of Doeg and Achitofel's pursuit of David is well, what, we're not risking anything because Hashem is not going to protect him because once he sinned, the schus went away. But, and where did they get that from? My Darish, where did they think that sin makes Hashem forsake David? Pasuk says, It says, Hashem shouldn't see something shameful among you. And the Pasuk goes on to say, Hashem will turn away from you. So they thought Hashem will turn away. Right, David sinned. Hashem will turn away. And they don't realize what Menachem or Yosi just told us. If a person has the schus of Torah, so then even if a person sinned afterwards, but but the, the schus of the Torah will not be extinguished. That was their mistake. My What does the pasuk mean? It says in the end that if a person gets a, it, it says there in the psokim. As we mentioned before, all the water can't extinguish the love, which is a reference to Torah. And then it says in the end of the Pasuk that, that, that even if a person gets all the treasures of his, of his home for the love, um, even if he tries to get all of it, they wouldn't go for it. So that means sometimes there's a thing you can't pay the price for. It's where it's worth too much. So obviously it's a reference to Torah, but what does it mean? It's not referring to a monetary arrangement like Shimon, the brother of Azariah. Their monetary uh, arrangement, the brother of Azariah, um, Azariah supported Shimon so that he could basically be devoted to Torah. So that's okay. That's decent. He's paying him up front, and then the schools of the Torah is split. Look, Rabbi Yochanan and the Venusia, similar to Yochanan in Nazi's house. Those things are decent, but it's not amazing because you're getting you, you by giving the money up front to the Tamachacham. Tamachacham is now splitting a lot of his merit. It should be like the arrangement that happened with Hillel and Shevna. They had a different sort of relationship. What was it? They were brothers. Shevna did business. They didn't have in the original arrangement that he gave him money and then Hillel went back. We know Hillel was very poor. After Hillel already studied Torah, the sofa, then Shevna said, let's join together and divide. Meaning now I'll give you money and you'll give me half of the Torah that you learned. That doesn't go. What happens is the basketball person gives all the riches. No, you know, you can't buy it. Very fascinating thing. Once the Torah is learned and a, and a rich man comes and he says, I'll give you a lot of money and I'll take care of it. It doesn't go. It's the It's not going to go. The power of the Torah is too great. So you can't buy it. That's no price tag. It's only before he gives the money. Then he learns. Then you could have a Yusachar Zulu in relationship. 
So that's what that pasuk was referring to. That sometimes there's just no price tag on something. Top of the Amid Beis, Amr Ben Azik Chavan Lamed Ospinol. Ben Azik said a person is obligated to teach his daughter Torah. Why? Because she should know that if she's a sota and she doesn't blow up, she should understand why. She should understand that it's the power of the slos, and that's why it's important that she's educated. Whereas Rabbi Lazar said, anyone who teaches his daughter Torah, he has taught her all about um, physical intimacy. So the Gemara says, what does that mean exactly? Torah is physical intimacy. It says, if he has taught her the physical intimacy. Why? Because she becomes smarter, more daring, more cunning, more private, and to use her mind, and she can protect and do immoral things. Where do we see this? I'm, uh, the Torah says that I am like wisdom. I dwell in cunning like Arma. When the wisdom of Torah enters a person, our room has a certain sharpness. Cunning sharpness enters him as well. For Rabbanon held that you should teach the daughter Torah. So what do they do with the Pasuk? I am like wisdom. The Pasuk is saying something else. That the Torah is only miskaim. It's only fulfilled in a person who allows himself to stand naked for them. What does that mean? It means to say that he's naked. He's void of all other things. There's no other business investments, no other anything. He's completely into Torah. That's the person who's miskayim, where the Torah comes completely fulfilled. says, I'm a wisdom, I dwell in nakedness. It means someone who's naked from all other pursuits. Another idea, Torah is only fulfilled in a person who makes himself as if he doesn't exist, meaning humility. It says wisdom from nothingness, that's where we'll be found. Meaning it's found in a place, in a person who looks at himself like a nothing. Then Rabbi Yeshua waited in the conversation after this dispute if it's good or bad to teach the women Torah. So then Rabbi Yeshua said that a woman prefers a kav with intimacy over nine kavs and not having intimacy. So my Kalmar, what is he saying? How is he relating to this? Al-Kalmar is what he's saying. A woman prefers a kav of food that has intimacy. Mitishas kav and appreciates over nine kavs of food without intimacy. So therefore, ultimately, it is not good, he's saying, to study the Torah. Why? Because she's going to get, she was not going to be so into the Torah. Because what is Torah too? Torah weakens a person. It, it removes them, it removes them from their basic nature of the desire of intimacy. So this is a very difficult idea, but it basically seems to be saying that a Torah, uh, if the women would be pursuing Torah so much, it would remove their, their, their desire for intimacy. And that's not what they want. They'd rather have only one kav and have a stronger desire than have nine kavs and a less desire. Says the Gemara, who Amar Chosachote used to say that there's such a thing of people who ruin the world. And he had a whole list of them. So, for example, the first one he said is a Chosid who is a Shota, a person who is too foolish. You know, is a fool. He's too pious. He's so pious that he's a fool. So, what's an example of that? What's piety that reaches an extreme that it's foolish? So, the Gemara says, So, the famous example, there's a woman who's drowning. He says, it's not, it's inappropriate. I'm not a chassid. I can't look at the woman. I can't save her. That's a chassid shayta. Then he went on to say, another one who ruined the world is a cunning person who does evil. What does that mean? Obviously, it could be bad. But what does it mean? Like, again, we're looking for like the paradox, like the irony. Like, he's a good, but he's bad. So Someone explains his position to the judge before the other litigant does. Before the other, other litigant arises, uh, comes. So the idea is that once the judge is heard here's from one side first, it's difficult for him to be impartial. So it's forbidden, and uh, that, that, that's exactly the Rasha Aram. You have an Ani who's right on the threshold of receiving you know, all the benefits, 
And then you give him a little bit of charity and it makes him away from being an ani. So it's like, you know, the curse of, being, making, a li- of making a small living. Because if you, if you would be just a little bit poor, you'd have a lot more benefits. If you'd be very rich, you'd be very rich. But by somebody giving you a little bit of money that, that, that now it does not allow you to take from the benefits, so now he actually is doing a disservice to you. And the, the threshold in halacha is 200 zuz. It's not Misha Shalom, so it's a person who has 200 zuz. He's not entitled to take the gifts from the poor. If he had 200 minus a dinar, even if they give him 1,000 at once, he can take it. Meaning, if you're beneath the threshold, you don't have 200 zuz, so even if someone wants to give you the charity worth 1,000, you're allowed to take it. So by giving this guy one dinner, you're mamash messing him up. He had 199, give him a dinner, you're a Russia. Right? That's exactly what it is. A Russia arm is cunning evildoer. He's pushing away all the benefits of charity that the person would have received. A third shot. Someone who gives orphans in Eitz advice to sell Nechasim Mwat. What is this Nechasim Mwat business? Generally, what's the Allah, the male orphans, the male orphans inherit the estate, but the female orphans are entitled to, to sustenance for, the, for to have them. So what happens if there's not enough? There's not enough for both. So what happens is it goes to the girls. However, if the boys sell the property, it's sold. So someone gives advice to the boy property, he says, you're not getting it anyway. So, so the girls are going to be eating all the sustenance. And you go ahead and make a sale, an illegal sale. The Lamaisa will undermine their position, and then you'll be able to make some cash. Somebody asked Rabbi Yochanan said, if the orphans acted first, and they go and they sell when there's only a few properties from the father, we don't break up the sale. Whatever they sold, they sold. So that's a Russia arm because you're, you're giving him advice to do the wrong thing and to uh, undercut his sister. It's like a person who gives advice to another person to sell properties, um, that, like the opinion of Rabbi Shimon Gamliel. So now we're going to look at a new case where we see this advice coming. Tanya, this is the case. Person said, I want my property to go to you. And after you, I want it to go to somebody else. So basically, person gives a gift to Reuven. He says to Reuven, I want it to you while you're alive. And after you're dead, I want the gift to go to Shimon. So it's to Reuven while he's alive. And then after Reuven passes on, it will go to Shimon. What happens if Reuven sold it? And the Reuven went and he sold it and consumed all the money by the sale. So now the Shiloh is, after Reuven passes on, what, what, could, what could Shimon do? The gift was meant, was intended to go to Shimon after Reuven passed away. But Reuven sold it. So according to Rabbi Hashini Moshimon Alukuchos, the second guy Shimon could be mozi from the possession of the purchases because the whole intent of the original giver of the, the original giver of the gift was that it should go to Shimon after the death of Reuven. So Reuven didn't have the ability to sell it beyond his lifetime. So after Reuven passes, Shimon can go now and take it from the people who bought it. That's Rebbe. No, Shimon only takes what was left over in the hand of Reuven. But if it wasn't left in the hand of Reuven, if Reuven had already sold it, then Shimon doesn't get anything. So what should Reuven do to be smart? If he's got the fusel land, he should sell it. He should sell it and make the liquid and, and, and enjoy all the cash. Because anyways, after he passes, if he sells it, the Shimon can't collect. So someone who gives that Eitza to Reuven, he says, go, smell that real, go sell that piece of real estate. It will be better for you and your family. So that's a Russia Aram. A last shot. This is a person who um, gives other people advice to do certain things, but it's really only for his own benefit. He has something, some bias in mind about, you know, whatever advice he's giving. So that's, that's a Russia Aram. And the last thing, uh, second to last. Someone asks you, Shiloh, so you say it like this, you say, and some, for someone else, you say, you have to be machmer. Can you use the Erev? No, it's no good. You yourself, using the Erev. So that, 
That that that's the Rosh Arm. And the last shot, Ula Amar, this is the person, yeah, he's learned a lot of Torah, but he's not Mishamish Tamilik Chachamim. In other words, he doesn't give them respect, and we'll talk about this more tomorrow, what it means to be Mishamish Tamilik Chachamim. So he only has the knowledge, but he's not Mishamish to people who have the knowledge. So that, again, is the last example of a Rosh Aram.